What is it that you look for in a church? When you're thinking, when you're thinking, what's the church for me? What is it that you look for? What is it that goes through your mind? Have you got a list of a criteria? Or is it more a sense of just a, a more of a mysterious sense of calling perhaps? But I want to ask you that question before we start today. I want, to, I want you to think about what the, what's the factor or what are the factors involved in determining what particular congregation will be, you'll be a part of. And I want to provoke you to think carefully about this today through a story in the book of Numbers. Now Numbers is the fourth book in the Bible. It's just after Leviticus, just before Deuteronomy. And um, the reason why it's called Numbers is because at the beginning there's a consensus... There's a count of the people of Israel in the wilderness and there's a consensus at the end. But the book is about a lot more than head counting. It's really a record of God's commands to his people as they're in the wilderness, their carelessness in not obeying him and then really the resulting disasters that come upon them. So you've got very famous stories of the 12 spies who get sent out and they come back and 10 bring the bad report and 2 bring a good report. 10 of them are unbelieving, 2 of them are full of faith and, and as a result the whole generation which is approximately, in terms of men, women and children, two million were not to enter the promised land. Only Joshua and Caleb, those two spies, were allowed to enter in. Very serious stuff. You have these kinds of incidents that go on in the book of Numbers. And it's important not to skip over the lesser known books. Sometimes you can just say, I don't know what that's about, I've never read it. But um, we're told in 1 Corinthians this, that these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the ends of the ages have come. So we have these things written down for our own benefit so we can learn and so we can take warning and take heed. So when we read the stories of the, the, the 12 spies, we can think, no, I want to have that Joshua and Caleb spirit, not that unbelieving, fearful spirit of the other 10. So they're written down for our instruction. So we're going to look at numbers today. Now as you may or may not know before I read this, just so that it makes sense to you, when the Israelites were, had escaped from Egypt and were in the wilderness, on the way from Egypt to the Promised Land, which incidentally should be an 11-day journey by foot. The, the, the distance from the wilderness to the Promised Land should be 11 days. It turned out to be 40 years. Now, 40 years. Now, the, and the simple reason was, was because um, it was God's judgment on them for their just not believing him. They just constantly questioned, is God able? Um, and, and constantly looked at the circumstances around them and got into that zone of grumbling or complaining or murmuring against the leadership or whatever because they just felt this wasn't as we planned it and God says, no, what you're doing is wrong. If you just believe me, we'd be Moses. But Moses and the people, more than that, were led by a supernatural display of God's presence which was signified by a pillar of cloud in the daytime and a pillar of fire at night time. And when the pillar of uh, cloud or fire moved, the people moved. And then when the pillar stopped, they would stop and camp there. So we're going to pick up the story in Numbers chapter 10. I wanted to tell you that about the pillar because it, it, it helps us make sense of this short story I'm going to read. And we're going to start from verse 11. In the second year, in the second month, on the 20th day of the month, the cloud lifted from over the tabernacle of the testimony. That was the tabernacle means tent and it's where the presence of God dwelt in that time. So on the 20th of February in the second year, the cloud lifted from above the tent. And so the people of Israel set out by stages from the wilderness of Sinai. And the cloud settled down in the wilderness of Paran. They set out for the first time at the command of the Lord by Moses. So you've got a picture of this huge, huge um, camp, two million people, men, women and children. 
and the cloud moves and goes elsewhere, and so they all have to sit down. Now, the next few verses are really just a list of the order of the tribes, how they did it. So I'm not going to read through just because it's fairly laborious, but it's important that it's in there because it shows us the order. God, God knows how he likes things done. You can't just do it your own way and say, God, fit in with this. The Lord knows how he wants things done. And so that, that's what we learn from there. And if we pick it up in verse 28, this was the order of the march of the people of Israel by their companies when they set out. And Moses said to Hobab, the son of Reuel, the Midianite, who was Moses' father-in-law, so this, is, this Hobab is Moses' brother-in-law, we are setting out for the place of which the Lord has said, I will give it to you, come with us, and we will do good to you. For the Lord has promised good to Israel. But Hobab said to Moses, I won't go. I, won't depart to my own, I will depart to my own land and my kindred. And Moses said, please don't leave us. You know where we should camp in the wilderness. You will serve as eyes for us. And if you do go with us, whatever good the Lord will do to us, the same will we do to you. So we have this situation here where Moses is really, in some ways, earnestly kind of uh, asking his brother-in-law, Hobab, to stay with them, to bring his talent, to bring his skill, and to bring his contribution to God's people. But I love the way Moses phrases the invitation. He says, come with us and we will do good to you. I think in the NIV it says, come with us and we will do you good. I love it, it's fantastic. It's not just come with us, please, we really need someone. It's like, no, come with us and we will do you good. Now you could look at that, I think that's a bit cocky. You could look at that, I think that's a bit, I mean, really, what, Moses, on what grounds can you say this? How could he possibly say it? Hobab is a Midianite. Now, we, if you don't know the story of Moses, basically when he, he, he murdered an Egyptian when he was a young man in Egypt. He murdered an Egyptian because he, he, he felt um, affiliation with the people of Israel, even though he'd been brought up as an Egyptian. And he saw an Israelite being mistreated, and so he murdered an Egyptian. But word got round, and so he became a wanted man, a fugitive, had to run, flee from Pharaoh, and spent 40 years in Midian as a shepherd. And there he got married and, um, uh, and really lived as a Midianite in exile. And it was only then that when God called him from the burning bush to go back to Egypt that he then goes and joins with the people of Israel again. And so Hobab, this guy, is a Midianite. He's from the land of Midian. So he's already away from his own people. He's not an Israelite. He's not a Jew. Um, and how he decides, now that the Israelites are moving from Sinai to Paran, which is even further from Midian, he's like, listen, I'm going to go back now. Okay, it's been good. You know, I've enjoyed it, I'm sure. But I'm going back now. I'm going back nearer to my homeland, which seems understandable. But Moses, in effect, says, come with us, I've got a better idea. It will be a good move. Come with us and live in the wilderness and eat the same food every day with a bunch of grumblers. Which is basically what the Israelites were like. They used to constantly moaning, constantly God accusing, you're stiff-necked, you're stubborn, you're, you're, you know, and there are even times where God says, I don't want to be near them because I will break out on them. They just arouse my wrath with their constant unbelief. And Moses says, come with us, we'll do you good. You think... Isn't that a bit, I mean, you know, how can you, how can you say that? It seems like a bit of a cheek. But it appears from the silence that most likely Hobab heeded Moses. So maybe there was more to these people than simply the fact they lived in the wilderness, ate the same food every day, and moaned a lot. And I think that there was. And uh, I want to say to you today, under the sovereignty of God and totally submitted to his purposes and wherever he will lead you, but I still want to say, come with us and we will do you good. I want to say it to those of you that are with us and that are fully committed that you've been here, you know, however long from the start or even recently, but you said, no, this is my church. I want to say, come with us and we'll do you good. I'm confident of that. 
And it's like, there's no big boast like Moses could say, it's not because of the wilderness or because of the same food every day, but it's other reasons. It's not because, of, I'm not saying, come, that's indeed, we'll do good, because you can set up church in a canteen every week. It's really hassly. You know, that's not my confidence. I'm not saying it on those grounds. There are other grounds I'm going to say it on. And I believe I can say it for the same reasons that Moses said it. Now, I wouldn't normally preach a sermon like this. I've never preached one before. Probably won't for a while after, but I felt led by the Lord over the last month or so to, com- to commit this Sunday to preaching this message. And so I want to lay out what we're about as a church and what God's spoken to us and say in the light of it all, come with us and we will do you good. There were three things to my mind that marked this people out. Um, All of them tied in with the fact that they were God's people. See that was at the end of the day that's the big deal isn't it? They were God's people. Everything else comes out of that. Firstly they had the presence of God. Secondly they had the promises of God. Thirdly they were in the purposes of God. Now is anything clever about that? It all begin with P. Thank you very much. But as I was thinking and contemplating, Moses, how could you say this? What was it? What was your confidence? What marked these people out? They were the things that came to mind. The presence of God was with them. They had the promises from God's mouth, and they were bang in the middle of the purposes of God. And to be called by God involves all of those three things. And today as we look at the parallels between Israel and, uh, and, and, between, and between us, I hope you'll hear afresh in your heart the calling of God to be a part of what he's doing here. Moses and the people had the presence of God. Let's just look at this for a minute. It was the encounter with God in the burning bush that got this whole thing going. Moses was on the run. He wasn't thinking anymore about, well, you know, I'm going to rescue the people of Israel, which was originally his plan in what he did with the, killing the Egyptian. That had gone, that dream was over. He was a, just a shepherd now. God had really brought him to the end of himself. He was just concerned of keeping safe, keeping out of harm's way, I guess having a good marriage and just doing well with the sheep. That was really his life, it seems. That's all we, there's, you know, there's nothing else to suggest. He still felt he was a man of destiny in any way. He was simply a man on the run. He was a fugitive. And then suddenly he sees this bush on fire, but it's not burning up. And his curiosity takes him to go and find out more. So he goes along and out of the bush comes his voice. Take off your shoes, you're in the presence of God. <gasps> God breaks in. The direction of the man's life is completely U-turned. Hallelujah. When God comes in, everything changes. You see it time after time through the Bible. And sometimes you can, you can kind of say, well, yeah, maybe that was just special cases. It's a pattern all the way through. All the way through. And, 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 and sometimes we can, through fear of maybe, or maybe God won't change my life that much, we can adjust our expectations. But I tell you, you want to go biblical, you've got to go for the U-turn philosophy. When you encounter God, everything changes. When you encounter God, expectations get turned on their head. Things go upside down. And when God apprehends Moses, he does not want to go and be Israel's rescuer. Don't be mistaken. He's no longer this kind of, I can do it, man. He's broken. He's got every reason why he shouldn't do it. To the extent, in the end, God's anger burns against him. And he says, listen, you need to get on board here. I'm calling you. Enough excuses. But God's promise to Moses is this. I will be with you. Because at the end of the day, that's what we need. That's what Moses needed. He didn't need God saying, you go to Egypt, I'll be, I'll be back here in the bush, come and tell me how, how it's going. He didn't need that. Can you imagine that? That would have been a horrifying prospect. He needed to know that when he left the refuge of Midian, the desert where he'd been hidden for those 40 years, to go and be exposed before the Pharaoh, that he had the Lord with him. That's what he needed to know. And so God says, I'll be with you. He promises, 
his presence. There's no way Moses would have dared go down otherwise. When they're in the wilderness, after they've come through the Red Sea, Moses is known as the man who encounters God. God even says of him, I speak with Moses like a friend. I speak to others through visions and dreams, not so Moses. We speak face to face like friends. There was this intimacy. His face glowed with the glory of God when he came down from the mountain to the extent that, that, peop- that, that people were actually scared and he had to cover his face over. This man knew God. He had the presence of God. And as far as he could do in that particular covenant, he tried to create and fashion a people that were a people of the presence of God. If you look at the layout of the camp, in the middle was the tabernacle, in the middle with all the tribes around it, in the middle was a tabernacle where God's presence dwelt. And as Moses and Aaron or Moses and Joshua would go to the tent of meeting to meet God, the Israelites would stand by their tent and watch it. It was this holy moment. He's the man of the presence. And the cloud would come down and God would make himself known. This is what Moses was about, primarily more than anything else, the very presence of God of God. Likewise, we've got the presence of God. And we respect and honour the manifest presence of God. We don't just gather to simply sing, we believe that what the Bible says, that the Lord inhabits the praises of his people, yeah? When we come to praise, that he indwells the praise. It's not just a singing of songs. It's not just to come and have a, a jolly, a jolly, it's all to have a jolly, you know. When he could have sung like that, if you were thinking, what are these guys doing? This is ridiculous. The songs we'll sing after this will probably be a bit more adult. Um, but I think that sometimes there's a lot to be said for just being like a child and enjoying the Lord's presence and just not taking yourself so seriously. You can encounter God in celebration and in dancing and whistling around a room if you do it for his glory. And you can encounter God in the more intimate stuff. But we believe that he inhabits the praises of his people. And so, but not only that, we expect to hear from the Lord through the word. That his presence comes, that we're changed. That I was thinking that, but it's like his word has come and it's like he's spoken to my heart and I'm thinking differently now. My head's been lifted, my heart's been built up, my attitude's changed, my direction. I was thinking, I'm going to, no, no, I've, God's spoken, I'm going to go this way. It's the presence of God. As the prophecies come. We believe in the prophetic. New Testament teaches prophecy should come and it's for the upbuilding. So it's that sense of when we're in God's presence, he's speaking into my life. Wow. I'm being built up. I'm being encouraged. We respect that. As we break the bread every week and drink the wine every week, we remember his presence in that, in that um, whatever you want to call it, in that sacrament, that we encounter him in it. It's mysterious, don't understand it, but we encounter him in it. That's why we do it weekly. Jesus said, every time you gather, do this. So we encounter him in the bread and the wine. It's not just going through the motions. We, we expect in some way to receive grace, to receive an impartation of his presence. As we have tea and coffee after the service and eat biscuits together and have upbuilding conversation and encourage one another, it's like we speak the words of God into each other's lives and there's a fellowship. We encounter God's presence in there. As we load the van together, which we want this week because it's broken. But anyway, as we just load up and help to serve, we emulate him who didn't come to be served, but to serve. And we encounter him in it. It's all about the presence. It's all worship. We mustn't say, that well, the worship stopped now, now's the preach. This is worship. Everything. That's the idea. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. That's your worship. Whatever you're doing. And so we respect and honour and esteem and reverence the presence of God as we gather, as we open up our homes for hospitality, as we develop friendships, as we provoke and spur each other on in our relationship with the Lord, we're looking to do it to encounter God's wonderful and abiding presence. It's what Moses most cherished. Do not let us go up without your presence, O oh God. God says, I've had enough of the people. If I go up with you, I will just break out in wrath. I will send an angel. God, Moses says, please don't do that, whatever you do. We need your presence. What is there to mark us out from the others without your presence? Nothing. You're just another social club. You're just another fan base. 
You're just another people that are gathered together because you like a particular thing. There's nothing to mark us out outside of his presence. Moses says, don't do it, Lord. God says, okay, I'll come. That's what he cherished. That's what we must cherish beyond anything else, the presence of God. My biggest fear is that we become busy activists who don't know the presence of God anymore. We mustn't do it. We must wait on his presence. We must draw near. We must keep doing it. Moses, secondly, had the promises. You know, promises, I think sometimes we don't see promises as a big deal. When the promise comes from the mouth of the one who cannot lie, it's a big deal. I want you to know that. Some people say to me, they make me a promise, oh, my mother's life, this, that, any other, and I think, I don't trust you. I think you can say it on your mother's life 200 times, I'm still not going to trust you. Because of who you are. You understand what I'm saying? You know when you're with someone untrustworthy, you know they're a scoundrel? I think you can say whatever you like. I'm not trusting you. But the Bible says this about God. All things are possible. Nothing is impossible. Oh, he can't lie. There's one thing he can't do. There's one thing the Bible explicitly says, Hebrews 6.18, that he cannot do. Romans 3, let God be true and every man a liar. Every man. We did some street work on Friday night at Camden Town and we got a few negative opinions. Say what you please. Let God be true and every man a liar. Let all turn away. Let God be true. Let God be true. He cannot lie. And so when God promises you something, you think, man, this, you can rest your whole weight on it. Yeah? You haven't got to worry. You can rest your entire weight on it. And so what promises did Moses have? Number one, he had the promise to Abraham. Now, you've got to be clued in on the Abraham thing if you're going to understand the sto- God's big story. God came to Abraham. You read about various encounters in Genesis and basically makes in these promises. He says this, through your seed, every nation on earth is going to be blessed. Now we find out in Galatians that when God said to Abraham, your seed, he wasn't just talking about Isaac and Jacob and the Israelites. Who was he talking about? You read, you read Galatians? It's a book in the Bible. Full of truth. Who is Abraham's seed? Christ. Christ. It's Christ. Through regulations, isn't it? <laughs> when God says, he was saying yes through Isaac, yes through Jacob, yes the people of Israel, but ultimately God was looking ahead telescopically and saying, no, through your seed, through Christ, every nation on earth will be blessed. And if you read through Galatians, you think, what is this blessing? Is it just a nice feeling? Is it just what? I'll tell you what it is. It's justification by faith. It's that being made completely right with God through simply putting your faith in Christ and in no one or nothing else. That is the blessing spoke, being referred to there. So thousands of years ago, God says to Abraham, through my son, through Christ, I am going to bless every nation. And he's going to come through your lines, Abraham. I'm going to bless every nation. And so when God says to Moses in the wilderness, I've had enough of these people, I'm going to block them out and I'm going to start again with you. Moses says, you mustn't do that because you promised. Yeah? You promised to Abraham. And it's this amazing exchange. It's almost this argument. It's a remarkable, mysterious thing. But Moses says, no, you mustn't do that. Because of what you promised to Abraham, God relents. Okay. Don't ask me to explain it. I'll simply proclaim it. <laughs> it's mysterious. But God relents and says, fine. We have the same promise. You've got to get this. You can't think, I wonder if this church is going to work out. You know, I hope that things work out okay. No, listen. God has promised from thousands of years past, through your seed, Abraham, all nations will be be blessed. We are about building a multicultural church, a church for all nations, because we are founded on the promise. Yeah? It comes from the mouth of one who can't lie. Not just a good idea, an innovation. That'd be fun to start. I hope Revelation Church works out. It'd be great if it does. No! As long as we do it God's way and follow him, he's promised. 
It's going to happen. You haven't got to fear. So Moses had the promises. But secondly, Moses had direct promises from God, from the, from the burning bush. I'll be with you. Didn't he? Direct things to him. What have we got? Here's some promises we have had directly through proven prophetic ministry. Okay? Same things that have come from different people who didn't know each other, who have never met each other. Here's a few things I've got written down here. God has promised us prophetically that we, he will give us bridges into communities, that he would open up whole communities to us. I believe he's going to do that. I believe there's an open door that God has given us. There's a grace on us. So I'm expecting things to just begin opening up in different parts of the area, in different communities. These things don't happen overnight. So you mustn't wobble if something doesn't happen in the first few months. This is for the long haul. We're here to put our roots there. Yeah? It's not a project, it's a church. Yeah? We're here, so we're here for until, you know, well, we're here. So God has promised that gang leaders will be like putty in our hands and that we'll see people from that scene totally one to him. I believe God for that. God has promised that there will be such a, the two things that will strike people when they come among us is the love, the community, and the miraculous going hand in hand. Now, I believe in terms of the love and the community, that is very much happening. The people are impacted by it in a very real way. But we need to press in on the miraculous. We need to press in, not be afraid of it. Just keep pursuing God. It's something that, as a, as a, nationally, as a church, we're not in. Okay? We've just kind of not known quite how to handle that for years. We need to come into it. It's part of the normal thing. We've got to get our heads around that. God has promised this, that you as a church are going to be a bit like David when he was in the cave of Adullam on the run from Saul and many, would, many came to David who were distressed, in debt and discontented and David turned them into the mighty men. And so we are very, very happy to have anyone come and join who's distressed, in debt or discontented. We will welcome you, we will love you and we will turn you into a mighty man or woman of God. Absolutely convinced of it. Got no issues, no qualms with that. Come, come, come. Get in, get in, get in. God will do you good. Come with us and we will do you good. Finally, Moses and the people were in the purposes of God. God said, I've got a purpose for you. I've got a land for you, flying with milk and honey. Go in, settle down, live differently. And then those around you who serve other gods will see the way you live, will see the blessing, and they will say, man, your God is different. He is the God. We want in. Yeah? You're going to be a blessing to the nations. That was the idea. That was how it was supposed to go. The other nations would look on and say, your God isn't like our God. Our God we created. Your God is self-defining. Yeah? We define our God. Your God defines you. This is the true God. We want to know him. Likewise, God has called us here to put our roots down in the city. This is our promised land. You like it? <laughs> I like it. We're called here to live differently. That's what we're called here to do, actually live a different way of life. Not to live greedily. Not to live as consumers. Not to live selfishly. To, to shine our light. To shine, to shine, to shine. To be the light in the darkness. To be the salt now, when Jesus says you're the salt of the earth, the reason why is because they didn't have fridges in those days. So the way you preserve meat that would otherwise go off is you put salt in it. And so the idea is you put the salt in and it stops the rot. Okay, that's the plan. That's what happens. That's the idea. And so, so the idea is that we're going to live in, in, in this community as the light of the world to shine in the darkness and as the salt in the earth to stop the rot that happens around us. That's the idea. That's what God's doing with us. The idea is, is that we fill this city with praise as life after life is changed. The idea is that we fill this city with praise as life after life is changed. I want to just say something to you. I hope you're not in this city to kill time, to wait till your numbers come up so you can move to the suburbs. The inner city needs believers. It needs believers that say, I'm here, and I'm here till God calls me elsewhere. I'm not just going to up and go, you know, when, when, it, when the going gets tough. I'm going to commit. I'm in the city. I'm in the city. I'm going to put my roots down. 
We want to see Christ glorified in this city, don't we? It's the only name worth being glorified. We want to see it glorified in this city, along with the rest of the body of Christ. What's our vision? Some people say, what's your vision? I'll tell you our vision in in three short sentences. Number one, we want to see God's gospel succeed in the lives of 21st century Londoners, regardless of their social, ethnic or religious background. Number two, we want to build those Londoners into a Christ-centred community of love and power where they'll be healed and transformed. And number three, we want to send those Londoners back into their worlds, equipped in the power of the Holy Spirit to bring transformation wherever they go. That's what we're about. That's what we've been commissioned to do. The King has said, go. Go and make disciples of all nations. We're going to give ourselves to what he is doing. I want you to know, if there is such a thing as a rat race among churches as to who can be the biggest, quickest, we're not in it. I want you to know that. I'm convinced from the scripture that God gives the increase. We sow and we water, but God brings the growth. And if he wants to bless us with growth, then amen, praise God. We're going we're to embrace all who come and love all who come. But I'm not in any rat race mentality. I'm not going to compete with any other congregation in the body of Christ. We're on the same side. We're about the same thing. I earnestly desire blessing on every church that honestly loves Jesus and proclaims the gospel. Absolutely. We need to get that into the depths of our spirit. We're going to go as a church. We're a missionary church. We're going to go before we expect people to come. We're called to be in the world, right in there. Okay? We're going to go. We're going to love. We're in our Christmas events. We're going to, uh, our Christmas events, if they succeed in terms of people coming to find out about Alpha, it'll be because we've succeeded in going. Yeah? Because we've gone first. They can come to these things. We're going to, as a whole body, push on with Alpha in July, in January, sorry, and I believe see many, many wonderful things happen and lives changed. That's what we're about, guys. Come with us and we'll do you good. Yeah, I honestly believe it. If you want to get involved, let us know. We will do all we can to help. We'll get you in a 10. If not, you say, this isn't the place for me, I'll tell you what we'll do. We will lay our hands on you and bless you and say, we hope you find a spiritual home. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll just get behind you in that. I want to finish by asking, answering the question of what does it mean to be part of Revelation Church? What does it actually mean? I have to be a part. Before I answer, if you are beaten up and not ready to commit to anywhere because of bad experience of church, I want to say we are just happy to journey with you on that. No problem. Just be around for, until you're in a place where you're a bit healed up. That's fine. Aren't we? We're just very aware of that. Some people are not in a place of just getting right stuck in straight away. Need some time to just journey because of what's gone on. Absolutely fantastic. There'll be no pressure on you whatsoever. You're welcome here as long as you need to be. But if you're not beaten up and you think, I, need to, I want to get involved somewhere, and I would say, this is the primary thing. Please just get your heart knitted in with what God's doing here with us. Catch it. Catch what we are. Catch who we are. Build relationships. Get in with us. Build meaningful friendships. Take initiative in relationships. Open a home as best as you can for whatever situation you're in. Get involved. Just f- for me, the more just the relationships there are, the stronger we are. Yeah? There's a strength in relationship. You can't, you, can't ha- you can't just have a structure that looks strong and no relationship. It's not really strong. Now, our structure doesn't look that strong. It's quite loose. But there's a lot of relationship. Yeah? So we keep working that. Keep working, 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 working. So can I get together? I want to come visit. I want to pray with you. I want to encourage you. Let's go out for a drink. Let's go out for a meal. Let's just get together. Just keep doing it. Just keep doing it. And it will, the thing will be strong. Catch the thing in your heart. Don't just look for a structure. Well, when does this happen? When does that happen? No, catch the values in your heart. It's about meaningful relationship. It's about genuinely committing to one another, being knitted together. It's about giving yourself to the vision of the church with your talents, with your skills, and with your energy, and seeing all that God has put in you unlocked for the common good. 
That's the idea, isn't it? The gifts we have are for the common good, yeah? So that's the idea with it. Put your money where your mouth is. If you want to be part of us. Give into the purposes of God here, regularly, joyfully, and sacrificially. The Bible makes a much more bigger deal about what's left after you've given than how much you actually give. So if you're a student and say, I can't give, I've only got a quid, put 20p in. Because it enables you to just sow into what God's doing. It's just part of giving into what God's doing. The, bi- the big... It's you decide on man before, your, before God in your heart, the Bible says. There's no set thing that you are to give, but please give regularly, joyfully, sacrificially, and then, you know, we can become a community free from the love of money and able to resource what God leads us to do. I'm going to be uncomfortably transparent for the next few minutes and I'm going to finish about finances. I just feel led to do this. So, I'm going to do it. I am genuinely troubled at times in my heart by how much it actually costs to live in this part of London. Um, it, it, it troubles me. Sometimes I lie in bed at night in the early hours and I struggle to sleep because I'm aware of how much of the money that is given by this church goes into supporting us. Um, I'm just aware of it. And uh, you just think, God, I, 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 my wish is that so much more could be given to stuff that was more clearly kingdom activity. I would be much more comfortable in a council house. It's the honest truth. Because I feel like we could just use the resources so much, so much better for other, for other things. You know, take on more people or, or whatever. We've been unable to get one in the summer when we were homeless. I pursued it and the council said, there's no, we would house you, but there's no way it would be, any, it'd be around here. It'd just be anywhere. So we just thought, well, the kids are in school, we're committed to this area, we can't do it. We've chosen a house to live in that is nice, spacious, for the purposes of just creating a nice home and being welcoming and being hospitable. But it costs a lot. And, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm aware of it. Um, and I just, you might think, man, this is, I'm uncomfortable, this is inappropriate. I tell you, if I'm going to call you to give, I want to stand before you as transparent and accountable as I can be and just be straight, just so you are aware of the fact that it's not, in my mind, something that I would have, ideally chosen also for the purpose of accountability this is genuinely my heart's motivation in this I'm getting a book published in January and um, by Kingsway and I want to give half of that to a, a different church plant that I know of in, in the country but half, the other half is just going to go to the church and all future royalties will go to the church I'm not going to take anything from it and I just want you to know that because I want to be accountable to you and you're aware that a book of mine's come out and you think he's still, he's still getting paid the same thing by the church what's the deal here just feel God's sake. Just give, don't, don't take any from it. So, just so you know that as well. Having said all that, I feel free now to ask you if you're going to come with us to step up to the plate and just acknowledge the reality of what it costs to plant a church in an area like this. Not just financially, but in terms of emotionally, at the, wear, the wearing effect it can have, the challenge of bringing up children, etc., etc. And let's go for it. Let's give and pray and love and serve and laugh and sometimes cry. But let's go for it with all of our might. And I honestly believe that as we roll our sleeves up and take our position on rebuilding the wall, that we will accomplish something in God that honestly may well be beyond anything we could have even imagined. Yeah? We could even look back and say, well, we thought it was going to be good, but man, this is spectacular. And so, because we've got the presence, the promises, and we're in the purpose of God, I want to say to you, come with us, and we'll do you good. Amen? Amen. I want to pray.
Thank you for calling us here, Lord. And thank you, Lord, for being set free from a life that's killing time, but a life of purpose and mission. Something you've brought us in, Lord. You've brought us out of our own life as the main plot, and we realise that's just a subplot. And your story is the main plot. And it's so exciting to be caught up in something so much bigger than ourselves, something that is you. And uh, Lord, I just want to pray as a body, as a people, you would gather us to you so intimately. You would gather us into your heart, into your bosom. Lord, that we would know the pleasure of God over us. We would know you opening up doors for us that no man can shut. Lord, we would know you speaking to us increasingly and doing amazing things that no one could explain among us. We ask for your glorious, miraculous presence to increasingly rest upon us in a manifest way, in a way that is obvious and clear. And Lord, that the nations would look up and say, you, God is with you. God is with you. We pray for it, Lord. We know that's your heart. I pray, bring us into it, that none of our attitudes or approaches would limit you in any way. We'd have the Joshua and Caleb spirit about us. We'd say, we can do this. God is with us. God has said, we're not going to be prey. We're not going to be preyed upon. We're the winners. And I pray you put that in us by your Holy Spirit, Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Shall we worship the Lord some more?